Who wants to introduce the episode? Should we have Jacob do it so that people right away are like, oh, a man's involved? Love this. Oh, a man. <laughs> Should we clap? I I do usually uh, insist upon the applause. So yeah, a little bit of clapping for me would be good. <laughs> okay, so you, okay, let's do the clapping okay. first, then you can introduce it, and then we'll clap again. All right. One, two, three. Yay! God, I'm going to be a rotten brat. I'm going to make the editing so difficult because it's not me doing it this time. No. And then Jackie's going to say, you're fired as my client. We have to pay for that. (laughs) I can just cut you out, Jackie. Well, that'll be cheaper than anything, so. Hello, welcome to another episode of Fire the Canon, where we talk about classics in the literary canon. And we talk about whether, I guess whether they really truly deserve to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, really, all that happens is mm-hmm. it's kind of incessantly mocked um, and kind of belittled, which is obviously exactly what you <laughs> want to hear about all the classics of literature. Um, I'm not at all a salty literature student, so, you know. Anyway, yeah, so we are joined by our hosts, Rachel. Hello, this is me. This is my voice, so you can tell us apart. And Jackie. And Jackie. This is Jackie, so you can tell oh, us apart. Jackie, don't do it. Okay. Is that your impression of me? Yeah, it wasn't that cool. Um, not really. You remember he's he's gonna send us a bill for his time, so No, that was my impression of Alfred, my uh my British robot that I used to replace you that one time. Tell me, Jacob, what what were your thoughts on that? That was from our Sometimes when Jacob edits our podcast, he puts in little things like when we're rude about England or whatever, he has something to say about it. And one time he wasn't editing and Jackie thought, wow, he would really have something to say at this point. So she just found an AI butler with a British accent and used it to be Mm -hmm. Jacob. And multiple people thought it was him. So how do you feel about that? Uh, I I mean, I don't mind either which way, but I do think it's quite funny that people couldn't tell the difference. It's a totally different (laughs) accent apart from the voice being different. (laughs) Totally different accent, different voice, and it's not a human. (laughs) I think it says a lot about how, how monotone I am kind of perceived. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't take too much offense at that. But yeah, remarkable. I don't know. There's literally a part where it says, okay, mates, back to me, sheep. <laughs> they thought that was sheep. <laughs> uh, that's all right. I'll survive. Oh, good. Anyway, so good today times. we're talking about the, uh, the life and works. Primarily mm-hmm. the life of, I think, Herman Melville. We'll get to the works, mm-hmm. yeah. We'll get to the works. Okay, cool. So I, I believe. Dang, none of our guest uh, hosts have ever gotten our actual topic right before. So that's good. <laughs> none of our hosts, really. <laughs> Off to a great start. And let's real quick. So Jackie, Jackie's done the research. This is her favorite kind of episode to do is talking about the Wait, authors. You, I was supposed Jackie, to do it. I swear. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I did it. Okay. I did the hell out of it. <laughs> Jacob. Do you know anything about Herman Melville? Is he something that young English people learn about or just American? He's his favorite author. Uh, wait, really? He's he's not my fa- my single favorite author but author but he's one of my favorites. Yeah, I really I really like Herman Melville. Yeah, yeah. Um his his I guess his standing in like general British literature. I think mm-hmm. ev- everyone's heard of him obviously. Everyone knows Moby Dick. But Wait, if they hear Herman Melville, do they know he's the Moby Dick guy or everyone knows Moby Dick? If they hear Herman Melville, they know he's the Bartleby guy, but they're not <laughs> sure about Yeah, I, th- I think he's like, in terms of like contemporaries, like 19th century authors, like he's hmm. he's not as well known as like Charles Dickens, but maybe similar level to Jane Austen. No, no, I'd say Whoa. less than that because like le- less than that, but like it 
maybe if yeah, someone just below. I wouldn't say too far below that, but again, I wouldn't say most people have read read like Hemingway, even or Moby Dick. Wait, that's not nineteenth century, but I mean, is he on par oh. with Hemingway in terms I, it's, that's, of knowledge? That's probably, but that's probably a better. That's probably a, a better actual example. You know, yeah, Moby Dick was actually uh, published in Britain before it was published in America, like the month before, but still slightly. Whoa. Ah. I didn't know that. That's well. You have you have done your research. Yeah. Well, we're gonna get to all kinds of fun things. <laughs> I do want to say one other thing about Herman Melville is he popped up in my life recently. Surprisingly, well, he's been dead for a long time, so I'm a, li- <laughs> I'm a little confused. He um. Well, actually, another little known fact about Herman Melville is he's he's still alive for me only. <laughs> he's, he's hundreds of years old. Yeah. So I did not realize Billy Budd was actually kind of popular now because the my Mm -hmm. really my only exposure to it was i read it in a at law school i took a law and literature class and that was one of the books that we read because it's like sea law you know yeah and um so i think i mentioned something about this was like a year and a half ago we were talking about herman melville or whatever and theo was like oh you mean billy budd like the opera and i was totally shocked and then also there's a there's a french movie that's very well thought of that's based on billy budd as well and um so that something about the movie popped up and i was like reading about it and they were like oh yeah it's based on herman melville and i'm like whoa is moby dick being Mm -hmm. dethroned as his most prominent work but we'll we'll see well billy budd is his most homoerotic work i think which is saying a lot jackie there's a gay marriage in moby dick i said billy budd is his most homoerotic work (laughs) i would disagree i would say let's read moby dick first and then you'll see how do you and also how do you quantify no, the amounts of homoeroticism? It's much shorter, so it's a little I, what I read about it. What I read about it. <laughs> okay, both are pretty pretty homoerotic, and that's why we're reading this for Pride Month, um, or starting it in Pride Month, and then also just because it's summertime, and we thought a uh, a voyage across the high seas was in order. Mm-hmm. However, it's a very long book, so it won't be ended until later in the year. Oh but, yeah, um, I can go ahead and jump into the bio whenever you want, Jacob. Do you want to say anything like? Please. I, I don't want any super big spoilers for his life. So if there's something really cool, try to save it. One thing, which I think think is very interesting, but I think is quite well known. Um, it's not really a spoiler about his life, but it's that Moby, the musician, is his like great great grandson or something. And he's called what the hell. Like, he, I don't think I knew that. Oh, I, well, I, th- I thought it was quite well known thing, but yeah. So he he called himself Moby. Oh, I wasn't gonna say that. So thank you. Oh, cool. But I I was like that. It's like he's called Moby because his great great great-grandfather, something like that, uh, or maybe great-great-granduncle, is Herman Melville. So he's like, well, I'll go for Moby. I think if ever I've thought about it, I assumed it was because Moby's bald, and so he's kind of like a whale, and that's why he (laughs) chose that name. (laughs) But okay, Well, because he he premiered with his stage name as Dick for a while, and that didn't have the same effect, so (laughs) switch to the other thing. Um, Interesting. Well, all right. Do you want to go? You want to go? You want to go, bro? (laughs) you want to fight jackie that's what she's asking (laughs) i i think so i'm slightly scared (laughs) he said i think so i think i'd like to fight okay Um, look the thing is jackie's been working out a lot but jacob is twice her height basically (laughs) so i think have i been working out a lot i thought you had whenever i whenever i go to the gym i see something funny and then i tell rachel and theo i just saw something at the gym so it makes it sound like i'm always at the gym i guess I guess, yeah. I've been assuming every time you tell me, you go to the gym like 10 times that you don't tell me about, but maybe it's more like 
every time you tell me is the only time you've been to the gym. No. It's the opposite of a spider. Like, if you see a spider, you know there's 50 more around. When I tell you I went to the gym, that's the only time I've been to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, the last thing I saw at the gym that was cool was uh, an exact doppelganger of Theo when he was, like, 16. It was startling. Like, I did a double take. I was like, those little rectangular glasses (laughs) and that big hair. And, like, he even had, like, a kind of similar shirt it's just theo all over do you find that some people are more inclined to having doppelgangers doppelgangers than others like my little brother i i, I swear i see my, my little brother every like week just on the street and it's just some random person it's just like why does everyone look like my little brother <laughs> weirdly though my little my little brother who i mean he's he's like 28 or something but he's bald now and he mm. he actually looks like andrew tate no yeah yeah it's really oh, no. it's really bad but he didn't know who andrew tate was is he the one who likes no, no, no. Okay, but is he in line with his views no, or no? No, not okay. even slightly at all. He didn't know who he was. Oh, good, good, good. He didn't know who he was until my nephews told him who were like, oh, no. like 14. And he was like, who's Andrew Tate? And they're like, oh, no. Oh, you look just like him. Who is he? And then he watched the video and he was just like, oh, for <laughs> It's like, yeah, but you can't regrow your hair once you're bald, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, I hope those nephews stop watching his video soon. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they do. I think it's just that. Everyone, I don't think they're a fan, but I think ever, just everyone has has seen them. Now. You're right. Everybody yeah, yeah. knows what he looks like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yikes. Um, you know, there's like a picture people make fun of where he's got like literally no chin at all, and he's bugging his eyes out. Yeah, hopefully yeah, yeah. your brother looks like him in like a uh, <laughs> less humorous image. <laughs> Le- no, he looks he looks less bad than that. What a what a beautiful compliment. <laughs> you look less bad than this terrible man. <laughs> All right, well, you guys just stop me whenever. Herman Melville, We most people know he's a novelist. Obviously, he wrote Moby Dick, and he is um, most famous for being the great-great-great-uncle of Moby. <laughs> grandfather, right? But, Did you say uncle? Yeah, grandfather, uncle. Something, I'm not 100% the, sure. Jeez, uh, I can't think of anybody's name. I just called Jacob Theo. Nathan, Nathan, Jacob Conrad, Nathan Waller? Technically, it is Nathan Conrad, Jacob Waller, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> John, Jacob, Nathan, so, Conrad, Even though, right, even though I was just saying we should talk about Herman Melville, I want to tell when we moved into the, this house, um, we were moving in and we bumped into the family next door and they've got like three kids and the youngest uh, is a boy. And at, at the time he was like one. And we introduced ourselves and he was like, oh, hi. Karen was like, I'm Karen. And I said, hi, I'm Jacob. And then the, the parents were introducing the children and they went, oh, this is Nathan. And then I went, oh, that's the same as my name. And then they just looked at me like, what the <laughs> And then I had to explain that it's like technically my first name, but I go by Jacob. And they were just like, what? They could tell, you tell they were just immediately like, I can't believe these people have just moved in next door. And they're and lying. Like, <laughs> they're like, I thought you were going to mess. his only move is to just say, oh, that's my name too. I know, I know. I was like, I must look like a complete freak. I thought you were going to say that all three of their kids were named Nathan, Conrad, and Jacob. Oh, right, Yeah, right, that's right. what I also thought too. I mean, that but, would be great. Okay. Like you were going to say, oh, Nathan, that's my name. And then they'd be like, oh, and this one's Conrad. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, that's my name. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it's really funny, now that I think about it, that you have so many freaking names when you have so many brothers. Because normally I would imagine a man with as many names as you to be one where your parents were like, oh, we're only going to have one son. Let's use up all our names. Do all your brothers have that many names? Yeah. Um, Whoa. So there's Joshua, Elliot, <laughs> Brennan, Wallet, Zachary, Jordan... Jeb Waller. Nicholas. Nicholas Waller. Christian. I can't even remember his. Christian something. And then my sister is Anuska Sarah Thurlwell Harding. Anuska? Anuska, yeah. Oh, cool. (laughs) So here's a funny thing that happened this week with my name. So I don't 
know if I've ever talked about this with Rachel before, but I've definitely talked with Joshua about it. For some reason, and this has only happened since I've moved to Cincinnati, but a lot of times, like if I'm introducing myself to like a black American, for example, a lot of times they'll respond, Jacqueline, that's my mom's name or something. (laughs) There's just a lot of like older black women named Jacqueline. Um, And it keeps happening or it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's my mama's name or that's my sister's name or something. And then this week I was um, at work and I was talking to a patient and I said, oh, hey, like my name's Jacqueline. And he said, Jacqueline, that's my mama and my sister's (laughs) name. (laughs) But they're all like one or two generations older than you and a different race. They're all like, yeah, they're all like 60 year old black Mm. women for whatever reason. (laughs) It's, it's weird how the, the, I mean, the trends of names and how they work. Because I recently found out the name Tiffany is like a very medieval name. Oh, yeah. Isn't it really? like yeah. Welsh or something? I, it sounds like it would be all like maybe like, yeah, Old yeah. English or something. But like it would have been a very know. common med- medieval name in medieval England. And yeah. now if someone wrote like a historical novel and that like there's a character called Tiff- someone's Tiffany, Tiffany. we'd be like, yeah. no, no, surely not. Surely not. <laughs> Breakfast at Tiffany's is like, let's bring the gruel and, you know, get the horse manure exactly. out of the way so we can sit down. <laughs> so anyway, Herman Melville um, was an author who's technically considered to be a part of the American Renaissance period, which lasted from about the time of 1830 to the Civil War. Everything happens late here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Renaissance was 400 <laughs> years late. <laughs> so they basically that movement was wanting American literature to develop its own unique voice. It was focused on like individualism and freedom and all of that stuff instead of Calvinism, which is like God rules everything. He was born in 1819. Yeah, Calvinism is weird. Calvinism is not just Calvinism God rules everything. It's that God. I mean, the weird thing about Calvinism is that people who go to heaven are handpicked by God. So he decided at the beginning of time, okay, this small group is going to go to heaven and like there's not really anything you can do about it because god already decided yeah so but you don't know which group you're in uh i mean it's i guess but like it's more like you can't really do anything to change it like if god wants you to go to heaven you're in that group so everybody might as well be bad because you've already been chosen but it might be that if you're bad it's because like you already aren't in the group I, I told you my I had a friend who was in a cult growing up where they believed that like it didn't matter if you believed in all the Christian stuff. You only go to heaven if God like appears in front of you and tells you you're going to heaven. And she used to have like panic attacks as a child because Jesus. she never had a visitation from God. So she was like, I'm going to hell. Yeah. Oh my Lord. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's basically the religious version of Pixar. It doesn't happen. Like, <laughs> you've got you've to gotta see it. So he was born in 1819 in New York. I found very quickly that he was baptized on August 19th. Oh, thank Rachel. you, Jackie. It's been a while since you've told us when people she were baptized. She always wants to know when someone was baptized. <laughs> his uh, family was Scottish and Dutch. His mom's side was Dutch. His dad's side was Scottish. They were pretty well off. Um, it said every four years they moved into progressively larger and fancy your houses like every four it's years like it's like Steven. new president yeah exactly that's what i thought of <laughs> when he was seven he contracted scarlet fever after which his dad described him as quote very backwards in speech and somewhat slow in comprehension oh, no. so he, i don't know if he was just always a little slow and then he got slower or if he was regressed a little bit but he started attending prep school and apparently so by 1830 when he was 11 his dad was writing to his own father so herman melville's grandfather that um you know he's making more progress but without being a bright scholar he still maintains a respectable standing he would proceed further if he could be induced to study but being a most amiable and innocent child 
I just don't have the heart to make him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's like the dream son. I would love to have a kid like that. Like he's a little dumb. He could be better, but he's just so sweet. I don't want to, I don't want to bug him. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they, they had several servants. They were always moving into nice houses, etc. But it turns out that they actually didn't have the money that they seemed to have because his dad had been borrowing all of his money. Like from his own dad and from his mother-in-law and then they cut them off um, when Melville was only 11 and so at this point the family was in debt more than $20,000 which in 1830 was over half a million okay all right so my you know when I take that into perspective my student loans aren't that bad yeah when you take that into perspective your life is not uh, totally destroyed (laughs) so he dropped out after a year at the prep school because he felt like the tuition fee was too much even though it was pretty small unfortunately his dad died only a year later (gasps) when he was traveling home Um, I believe he had like gone on a trip and he came home by ship he arrived in New York City and then he had to travel 70 miles inland in an open carriage in sub-freezing temperatures for two days and two nights. Jesus. He died. Oh. Yeah. He developed delirium and he died like a month later when Herman was only 13. We think he witnessed that happening because he wrote up a similar death in one of his books later on. That that is rough. Today, what would we call delirium? Because you wouldn't be like, well, my dad, he died of delirium. I I would assume some type of like brain fever and inflammation. Like pneumonia or something? No, like I would would guess like encephalitis. Or yeah, some type of really high fever that just damaged his brain. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, After this, his mom unfortunately became heavily orthodox Calvinist. Oh no. Which we just talked about was a little freaky. Yeah, they're... To say the least. They're kind of weird. I'm sorry, Calvinists. If you're listening... Yeah. Like, I'm not going to do, like, I don't hate you or anything, but... (laughs) I'm not going to do anything to you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to do anything. (laughs) But... Well, why would his mom become Calvinist? Like, if she believes that, then she's already picked or she's not picked. Because... why bother? It's comforting sometimes to believe that God is so involved in your fate and that there's nothing you can do. So it's almost like a comforting version of helplessness. It doesn't matter what I do because mm-hmm. God is deciding everything for me. So I could understand why someone yeah. who goes through something really terrible would be like, oh, well, God made mm-hmm. that happen and he's making everything happen. So I don't have to worry anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, the rest of us are plagued by decision fatigue constantly, <laughs> but not them. Are communists common these days? I mean, no. No, they're not, are they? I mean, it, they are not. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we're going to offend a large <laughs> swath of listeners, are we? They're not that common these days. And also they like, they weren't that common yeah. back then. I do think it was kind of a, yeah. well, like there were, I feel like a lot of Dutch Americans were Calvinist, but she was of Dutch descent. Yeah. yeah. But I, they're not that common now. I mostly see people like talking about it, <laughs> not really being it yeah they're they're talking the talk they're not walking the walk so but this was still really influential to him he ended up being like a very very um knowledgeable scholar about both the old and new testaments even though he wasn't actually religious Mm. but um at this point his uncle got him a job as a clerk um in a bank for the equivalent of about forty four hundred dollars a year which wait is the, not a lot of money, but also he's only thirteen. The modern <laughs> he's working day equivalent a bank and, of forty four hundred. Yes, the modern day equivalent of forty four hundred. The hell, yeah. How many? How many hours? How many? Does it say how many hours? So was that it, was that been, like full time? Was that like analogous to like a, a paper round? Making like fifty cents an hour. 
I don't I don't actually know how many hours. I thought you did your research. I, I was told you did your research, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think that's great for a 13-year-old kid with a brain addled by scarlet fever. He's, like, working at a bank. I mean, it's great yeah. if he's not getting paid 50 cents an hour. If he's doing, like, an hour a day or whatever, okay. Is this, cool, the, but... is this the episode where Jacqueline officially comes out as a fan of child labor? <laughs> Pro-child labor. She's a libertarian. <laughs> Hardcore libertarian. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> But because it turns out that after his dad died, um, the mom found out that there was like no inheritance left. So she got $20, which was the equivalent of 600 bucks. She had eight kids. That was not okay. So now he's 14. He's working at this bank in Manhattan. He's doing actually really well. They sent him on a business trip to uh, Schenectady. As a 14-year-old? Is that how you say it? Or As a 14-year-old. <laughs> I'm picturing him like, I don't know, like Dwight in the office, just driving around, going to different yeah, places. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Schenectady. You're um, the one with family ties to new york we never leave the city except to come to north carolina you know what i think no one in my family history has ever had any ties to new york or new jersey as far back as i am aware of no maybe throughout time is that is that said with is that said with like a hint of pride yeah <laughs> it is <laughs> well it's just most people kind of came through ellis island that's where my people came through <laughs> not and my they people just stayed there because they didn't know they had bad se- i inherited my bad sense of direction they got off the boat and they were like we better sit still like are we you know, in when India? you get lost and your mom is like just stay in one place <laughs> and i'll come get you <laughs> um So he's doing that, and I just thought it was funny what I read was saying, nothing else is known about this period except that he was fond of drawing. So it's like, yeah, he's just (laughs) a kid. He's working at a bank, and nothing else is known except he likes to make little drawings. It's like Theo Um, in high school. Yeah. So his mom's family, the Dutch side of the family, the Gansevoorts, um, had a quote, skin preparing factory. Ew. Which burned down. Oh, like animal skin. No, 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 no. Human flesh. That's actually how humans get skin. It has to be prepared at a factory and then put on the person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the baby comes out like raw and red and then we're like, ooh, let's call Herman Melville's in-laws <laughs> or his mom's family. <laughs> yeah, Jacob, you didn't know this? You're expecting a child. I know. Soon. I was just thinking, I was like, wait a minute. Have we contacted the skin preparing factory yet? <laughs> I know. We got like a month. They're on like a six month wait list. You better go. I know. I think I've got a month and a half to find some quality human skin. This is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! But it burned down, which must have smelled terrible. (laughs) Um, So he was then taken from the bank and made to work at the fur store of the family. So they had like a separate store with like fur caps and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. In 1837, I didn't know this, but there was apparently a, like a financial panic. It was the Panic of 1837. Makes creative sense, girl. name, I know. Mm-hmm. So now he he's he's 18, and he became a teacher for a brief time, and he had a class of 30 students, some of which were his own age. Oh. And I don't think he had any idea how to be a teacher. He hadn't even gone to school, really. Hmm. You... Hmm. You could just be doing anything back in the day. (laughs) You could just be doing anything. He then disappeared for a few months, and there's no record of what he did after that. He's probably drawing. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the end. That's all we know of his life. So he did, he started trying to write and publish. He got some things published. He's like in his probably late teens, early 20s. He got a couple things published in a weekly newspaper, which it was said of them that they were heavily, heavily illiterate, not alliterative, um, was heavy... heavy on the illusions i would assume yes heavy on the illusions yes that's what i was trying to say wow okay (laughs) i I really thought you meant alliterative because billy bud you know (laughs) 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 and obviously moby mick yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) they were like change that m to a d and 
We're yeah. buying that manuscript. I, I assumed you meant illusions because, uh, like, yeah, his all of his literature is just hit, like illusions, mm-hmm. illusions, 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 constantly yes, to yes. like Old Testament, well, New Testament as well, like Milton, yeah. Spencer, just like constantly, yeah, 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 and um, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, and Bible a lot, yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you for saving me from that. But <laughs> even for like him, this was like very heavy-handed, yep. and it was also called overheated and sexually charged. Whoa! Mm-hmm. So we're starting to form a kind of theme. Basically, here. it was fucking brilliant. Yeah, I want to read that. <laughs> so they're heavy-handed and overheated. So they're telling us that stuff written by a teen was badly written and horned up, basically. Which <laughs> I'm so shocked to hear. Yeah. <laughs> it was basically my immortal. Um, Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode about Herman Melville, and particularly, I hope our upgrading patron Rebecca is enjoying it. She recently joined the tier, wherein she will get a Fire the Cannon sticker, along with a nice little note mailed to her house. So be on the lookout for that, Rebecca. And if anyone else would like to become a patron or upgrade their patronage, please go to patreon.com slash firethecannon. If you do $3 or more a month, you get access to all our bonus content, five or more, and then all the tiers above that, you start getting some physical rewards. So please consider it. We really appreciate (laughs) it. Like a massage. (laughs) No, no, no. We really do appreciate the support of everyone. And Jackie and I were so happy to see that Rebecca likes us more than ever. So happy. Thank you, Rebecca. I remember when you first joined and I think... I remember. Yeah, Jackie was really complaining about how she needed more patrons and we think Rebecca might have been one of the ones who stepped up. But anyway, we really appreciate it. And if you would like to support us, but you can't afford to do a monetary support right now, no worries. Please go to uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. Give us a five-star review, a thumbs up. Tell your friends and family. We also really appreciate that as well. Yeah. And Rebecca, we noticed you liked our Facebook post the other day, so thank you. Mm-hmm. We had a huge fight with some homophobes on Facebook about Sappho. Which we will talk about maybe in a little bonus episode so people can oh, not maybe, hear girl. the behind We're the scenes. We're doing it. <laughs> We're doing it. We spent a long time fighting these people. Yeah. And thank you for those of you who were on on our side and we're not disgusting people we love you we you're do. great and we appreciate you supporting us yeah if you would like to find our social media we're basically at fire the cannon pod everywhere instagram twitter tiktok whatever you can email us at fire the cannon pod at gmail.com etc etc it's been a while since we've done a summary of our tiers so we'll just real quick run through it so if you'd like to support us for one dollar a month that's just a little tip jar we really appreciate it three dollars a month you get access to the exclusive content and we shout you out. $5 a month, you get a Fire the Cannon sticker. $10 a month, you get some merch. Yeah, you it, it builds. It builds. You don't have to pay for every single tier. And then for $25 a month, if you really want to do that, you will have the ability to force us to cover basically whatever you want. There's certain levels where you get the ability to like vote on upcoming books so just check it out go to patreon.com slash fire the cannon as i said see it for yourself all right back to the episode so he he had this period of time that i kind of remembered as being after the great recession like 2008 to like 2014 we graduated from college rachel and i in 2013 but i remember it was fucking hard to find any job Mm -hmm. Um, i didn't even try wait i did i did have a job right after i don't know why i said that (laughs) (laughs) But not like a professional job, right? What did you do? I taught English you in Korea, Korea. full time. <laughs> I 
has a professional job. <laughs> that, was, that was such an unnecessary dunk on Rachel as well. It was, it was <laughs> but it wasn't in America is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, I worked at a Target. I worked at a coffee shop. That was all I could get for a You got punched in the back by a child. I got punched in the back by a child. Professionally. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Well, I was a professional punching she bag for children. She got paid $4,400 a year for that. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> great. I worked in a factory that like bottled uh, a really famous booze over here called Lambrini, and it's just like the cheapest, crappest booze. Um, but wow. I used to just basically fall asleep because the shifts were like 12-hour shifts, like horrible shifts. I used to basically Ooh. just drink, I would drink like two cans, two like big cans of energy drink and then on my break and then go back out and it, within half an hour I would just be asleep again. And I, just, I don't know how I just slept <laughs> through that. <laughs> But how much Lambrini did you drink? Yeah, none of none of it. it was, it's horrible. It's horrible oh, stuff. No. And he, even oh. if I, even if I didn't like hate it in the first place, the other things that were bottled there, I learned to hate because you were just constantly around it. Just constantly, you know what I mean? It just fills your like nostrils like for twelve hours a day. Ugh. What else was bottled there? Oh, just just some like a, there's like an alcoholic ginger beer, which is actually like quite nice. Um, mm. called called Crabbies over here. Not I mean, anymore. Yeah, Krabbies. but it's, just, it's called Crabbies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do you are you able to handle it now or you're still off of crabbies um it's it's all right i mean i think i think it's just because it, i just started to feel it was like quite cloying and sweet so i could probably i haven't had uh, one for ages but i could probably have one or two and i'd be fine but hmm. yeah any more than that and he's right back at the factory exactly he's asleep yeah, yeah. At the, <laughs> <laughs> on the line so anyway so he's going around he's just like going all over the country like he went to illinois even to see if his uncle could get him some work he couldn't get any work in 1841 he goes to sea for the first time aboard the merchant ship the Akushnet. Uh, there were a few popular works going around at the time about whaling. One was a novel. I forget the name of it. It wasn't that important. The second one <laughs> that I do want to talk about was an article that was published in the Knickerbocker, which Ooh, is a magazine Nathaniel in New York Hawthorne? that you might recognize. No, Washington Irving. Oh, Washington Irving. Nathaniel Hawthorne Damn, was friends Rachel. with Melville though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to get to that. They but, wrote romantic friendship letters. Um, not quite, almost. Um, one-sided romantic <laughs> friendship letters. Okay, okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, Sorry the best for kind. Yeah. spoiling the gay stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, so the Knickerbocker, that was what Washington Irving came up with, which we covered on our Washington Irving episode. It was good. Go listen to it. And we have some little songs we wrote for him. Well, and it's funny because like Washington Irving and Herman Melville born in New York City, they didn't consider themselves New Englanders. They consider themselves Southerners compared what to New hell? England, which I think is crazy. That's yeah, crazy. you'll hear it in a minute. But so anyway, in this, in the Knickerbocker, there was this article, um, nonfiction article about the hunt for a great white whale named Mocha Dick. <laughs> what? <laughs> Let that sink in for Mocha. Like M-O-C-H-A? Yeah, like like the coffee drink. Mocha Dick. Okay. Mocha Dick. It's because so... This Seems like a bad name for a white whale. Yeah. You think he well, was a brown whale? Well, it was whale. because he was, seen ar- he was seen around the island of Mocha, which is, I guess, where he got this name. And where does Dick come from? You don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where does Dick come from? Because we know where the Mocha Rachel. comes from. <laughs> I know all you have is sisters, but I think it's time we have a talk. <laughs> he was an albino sperm whale that was first seen around 1810, but was probably much older because he was already, you know, aged by then. He was attacked many times, but he always won, and he had developed this reputation among harpooners. He was widely feared. He was huge. He was strong. He was 70 feet long, in fact. He was huge. Wait, he was that strong. Wasn't meant he was to 70 be a feet rhyme. long. 70 feet long. <laughs> I, thought, I actually thought you were going to break into a song there. <laughs> 
I could. Um, Don't promise if you can't deliver, just so you know. I'm just saying. <laughs> she, you, Jacob, you'd be surprised because in our group chat with Theo lately, she's been like sending us verses that she is hoping to ghostwrite for Lil Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just stuff. come up with them rapid fire, but I'm better at it writing than speaking. But he also acted weird. And so, well, his head also was covered in barnacles. So he looked weird. He was like just big and huge and like all kind of covered in stuff. Um, but so he was weird because he was, he was kind of like he would be docile sometimes. Like he would swim alongside of boats. But if you attacked him, he would ferociously attack. And he was that cunning. Is normal but i'm getting to some other stuff no no no. i know i'm getting to some other stuff instead of you know how whales will like spout like just like real briefly puff up some water mm-hmm. instead of doing that he shot it perpendicularly from his nose almost <laughs> continuously it was like they said it sounded like a just a the roar of a steam engine so how much of um, how much of the story of mocha dick is is real because you're you're saying it as if it's real but it's obviously very at the very least highly embellished i mean i think they could have come up with something crazier if they were going to embellish it i feel like perpendicular spouting isn't like it's weird but it's not so interesting that i would make it up if they said like he could walk and talk i don't know (laughs) so he would you know breach and jump and his entire body would come out of the water and this must have been like it must have just looked like some kind of eldritch god to these people. So unfortunately, this is sad. He was killed in 1838 no. after coming to the aid of a distressed um, whale cow who was upset because her calf had just been killed. Oh no! He's a hero. And he came to her aid. Yeah, he is. He's a white knight. I love him. Whale. I hate humans. <laughs> when he was killed, he was discovered to have had more than 20 harpoons in his body. No, so, I thought please. you were going to say more than 20 children. Darn, okay. Oh, he probably had lots of children. He was a sperm whale. That, that, what? Yeah, I don't know what kind of like <laughs> logical connection you're making there. Well, this, when we read Dracula, we found out that candle wax, they just called yeah. it sperm, right? Because it was made, and that's how we learned that. And then we didn't like to ever think about it again until now. Yeah, we did find out. We were like, why are they called sperm whales? What's named after what? Yeah, it was confusing. So he, but he's going on the ship. It goes around the Bahamas, goes down South America, South Pacific, goes back up around Peru, Galapagos, and then it gets to the Marquesas Islands in 1942 or sorry 1842 there he jumped ship with his good buddy toby full name richard tobias green who i saw a portrait of and hot in my opinion good looking young man who kind of resembled nathaniel hawthorne so So he's probably wayfish pale looks like he's about to die of consumption if jackie finds him hot tall dark hair (laughs) i'm just saying he happens to jump ship with this sailor um who's really good looking and who knows what they did on that island he later became the main uh character in his most successful or one of his first books and he named him toby after him wow we'll post a picture of richard tobias green on our instagram no let's do it and look up young nathaniel hawthorne you'll see he looks pretty similar we're gonna do a poll we'll put it on our instagram story we're gonna post a picture of him and it'll be yeah hot or not and we'll let people okay give them an option of uh like uh, this probably sounds very British, like snog, marry, or avoid. Avoid. <laughs> well, that's that's the three op- three options. It's it's like a not in America. It's kill. <laughs> it's fuck, marry, kill. <laughs> snog, marry, avoid. <laughs> that's so quaint. You guys, you guys, Jesus. So snogging is like making out, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So you make out with them, you marry them, or you just avoid them. <laughs> you don't. You England. don't. I mean, if you really want to kill them, right? Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. In America, it's fuck, marry, shoot, no, kill. barbecue. Oh, ba- barbecue? question mark? I don't know. No, no, no. She's just yeah. trying to come up with American stuff. 
That wasn't a very good joke. Just get rid of that. If, if, you, if you tell me a bad joke, it's staying in. But anyway, so he stays on the Marquesas Islands with his good buddy Toby for a couple months, and then he leaves and gets aboard an Australian whaling ship. Um, but he participated in a mutiny, and then he was briefly nice. jailed in Tahiti. So We love an anarchist on this spot. We stan a mutineer. Then it says he spent a month as a beachcomber and island rover, which that's not spending a month doing... And he, that's being a homeless dude on a beach. Like, that's what that is. Very Jimmy Buffett-coded at this point in his life. <laughs> I just love, like, they describe that as though it was something he could put on his resume. Like, oh, yeah, I was a beachcomber and... and <laughs> it's one of those many dead professions, you know what I mean? <laughs> My entire life, I've craved a metal detector. Like, ever since I was a kid, I was always talking about metal detectors and how much I wanted one. Nobody ever got me a metal detector. But now I'm like, I've been an adult for so long. Metal detectors are not that expensive. Like, why have I never bought one? I just frequently will think, like, damn, I really wish I had a metal detector. I, I just had this memory of when I was a child come back to me recently. And I was talking to Karen about it the other day. I really wanted to, ha like, have a pet horned toad. And I have, like, I have no idea why. I was just obsessed <laughs> when I was, like, maybe seven or eight. And I was just obsessed with the idea. It's like the perfect age when little kids get into like a specific weird animal, I think. <laughs> exactly. And it's just, I, th I think we just had like a little book or something like that. They're just lying around the house. And I just like read this book from cover to cover. And I just got obsessed with this idea. And they were like slightly different yeah, subspecies of them. And I was always like, which one will I get? Which one will I get? Oh, I'll get uh -huh. this one. And then obviously I grew out of it. I forgot. And now I'm like, I could, I could, I could get a horned toad. <laughs> but magic is gone now. I'm just like, it's just kind of an ugly toad, isn't it really? <laughs> Yeah, that's funny to think about. I feel like everybody as a kid had something that they were like, I really, really want. I remember when I was like about 10, I was like, when I grow up, I'm going to have a lime green Volkswagen Beetle. Realistic, I have a Volkswagen Jetta. I could realistically have a lime green Volkswagen Beetle, but do is that is that really, do I want to be 10-year-old Jackie or do I want to have an adult looking car that could fit more than a person inside of it? Do you know about the bar exam, Jacob? Yes, yeah, yeah. Vaguely, you try yeah. one thing from every tap and rate it, yeah. <laughs> Hey. No, so I have to take the Georgia bar exam at the end of July, and I'm going to go to my parents' house, which is at the beach, for like two and a half weeks to kind of hopefully isolate and study because there's just not that much to do around there. So also I'm hoping to get a good tan going for the wedding. So maybe tan for two hours a day study for like 12 hours a day but i'm i as as soon as we're done i'm ordering a metal detector and i'm gonna have it shipped to my parents house and i'm gonna get my Woo. detector going hope i can find something cool i hope i don't hate it do it there's a i recently watched a really good i mean it's been out for a few years a really good uh, british like comedy series called the detectorists oh yeah that's what they're called <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it's typical british tv where like the main characters are just awkward weirdos um but it was, <laughs> it was genuinely really good it's like quite cutesy and funny but um yeah that, that's what i picture you as now I'm not saying you're an awkward weirdo <laughs> yeah. actually yeah, I, I, I did kind of say that <laughs> i guess i think you just actually explicitly did call her yeah. an awkward weirdo. I, yeah i did you know that maybe that makes sense i was homeschooled maybe it's just just like a freak characteristic to want a metal detector. <laughs> One of my doctors has a metal detector. He's the guy who like aligns my cranium and things and helps my headaches out. And so I'll just be laying there what and he'll be mean? like, <laughs> it, it sounds like a fake science. No, he's an actual doctor. It's not a chiropractor. I lay down and he aligns things. 
by like pushing on things. It's a cellmate. Sounds up. like a chiropractor. It helps my. It's not a chiropractor anyway. But he will describe while doing this like the things that he's found with his metal detector recently. And he's just like yeah, like nobody else does it. So like this guy that just lets me walk around in his yard and like get cool stuff, and we decide we're just gonna like split profits. So you could do that, Rachel. Okay. Just find another weird old guy and split the profits. No, if I find anything cool and I sell it, I'll put the profits into the podcast. And then we're each gonna get a tattoo. You're gonna get a horned frog. You're gonna get a metal detector. <laughs> and I'm going to get a Volkswagen Beetle. Lime green Volkswagen. <laughs> so anyway, after his illustrious and very profitable stint as a beach rover, he went to Hawaii on another ship for a while. He joined the Navy for a little over a year. But it was probably a bad choice for him because at his time at sea, he had developed this like extreme hatred of authority and regiment. He kind of had a, a pretty sour outlook on life at this point, I think leading from when he realized that his family wasn't actually wealthy and he had to start working and his dad died in that kind of horrible way. And he felt that life had just done him a bunch of wrongs already. And he was so young and he was just like, well, this is the path that my life is on. So he kind of had a, a little bit of a negative outlook. One of his biographers said that at sea, it's possible that he finally felt like abandoned by God. Whoa. And so he had this metaphysical estrangement where he was like, I am a different sort of thing and I'm on a path and I don't know if it's a good path or whatever. So he had two important flips in his thinking at this time. One is that although he'd been born genteel, he was now starting to have sympathy for the commoners, the poor. And then two is that he started to see the West from an outside perspective because he spent time in Polynesia. So I don't know if this is that kid who like takes a year from, you know, college on a gap year and goes to Japan and is just like, the culture is so different, man. Like, we got to live like them. You know, like, I don't know if it was like that. Are you saying Herman Melville was a weeb for Polynesia? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. A peeb. Can we make that the title of the bio? Herman Melville, a weeb for Polynesia. I think, I think a lot of people who know about Herman Melville would be like, yeah, actually, that makes sense. That I think that sounds about right. He actually was right that we should all live like Polynesians. And this was based on his time um, in, in the islands. It was described as at once erotically suggestive and romantically chaste, which is perfect for Theo because he loves sexuality. Sexuality and hate sensuality. Yep. Nathaniel Hawthorne really liked this book as well, and he named his uh, the character Toby after his friend, which caused Toby to get back in touch with him. They would continue to write each other for almost 20 years, and uh, at the end of his life, Melville and Toby tracked each other down and got to hang out one more time. He oh. had a second book called Omu, which was also successful. In 1847, he meets... Li now, this is just interesting timeline. Think about this, okay? He meets Lizzie Shaw. Three months later, they're engaged. That was in June. Pride month. When they were engaged, they had known each other for three months. Okay. Mm. Then it says he had asked for her hand in March, but her father turned him down. That means he asked for her hand in marriage immediately after meeting her. And her dad was like, no. <laughs> and then he tried again three months later and he was like, sure. There's actually a theory that he was the only reason he was interested in Lizzie was because he really liked her dad. <laughs> and he wanted like a paternal figure in his life. Weird. How old was he at this point? In 1847, he was 28. Per Lizzie, the wedding was, quote, very unexpected, which is if you're getting, if you're actively the bride, like you're the one getting married, you should yes, never yeah, yeah. <laughs> feel that it's unexpected. So two years later, um, their first son, Malcolm, is born in 1850. 50, Herman Melville reads Nathaniel Hawthorne's Mosses from an Old Manse, and he hadn't met him or spoken to him or anything, but he wrote an ecstatic essay about this, and it was dripping with homosexual undertones. He said Hawthorne was a man of deep and noble nature 
has seized me in this seclusion. The soft ravishments of the man spun me round in a web of dreams. He went on to say, this is probably the most famous horned up line that he wrote about Hawthorne. I feel that this Hawthorne has dropped germinous seeds into my soul. He expands and deepens down the more I contemplate him and further and further shoots his strong New England roots into the hot soil of my Southern soul. (laughs) Ew. uh... No, that's, that's, well, that's perfectly normal. That's how I talk about my friends all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're from New York City, sir. You don't have hot southern soil or whatever (laughs) else you think you have. He's like 20 miles south of Nathaniel Hawthorne. (laughs) Maybe he's talking about his butt. Ew, Maybe he's, uh, I have no idea. Like, um, there was an article I read called "History's Dick Jokes" by a professor called Jordan Alexander Stein, and he said of this, like, basically summarized it as: one might casually say, for example, that Melville wanted to bottom Hawthorne so hard. Jacob, is this is this too much for the the British sensibilities? Uh, yeah, this is just yeah, it's not cricket, is it? <laughs> It's not repressed enough. British people have a lot of homoeroticism. It's just, this is a little too explicit. We're just more neurotic about it. That's the only difference, really. <laughs> You're more neurotic about the erotic. Homoeroticism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Well, and I mean, <laughs> what I was reading about these is that it's so heavy-handed and ham-fisted even now that it, there was absolutely no way you can read this any other way. It's almost, it's just ridiculous, the innuendo. At this point in 1850, the summertime, him and some other prominent figures like Oliver Wendell Holmes was there um, and some others, they all went to this little town in Massachusetts called Pittsfield and they stayed there for like a week and they just like hung out and partied and had picnics and stuff. And then Hawthorne showed up. Oh no. Which it was specifically noted that he'd left his wife at home with the children. And at one point during a picnic, um, Hawthorne and Melville sought shelter together from the rain and they had a very deep and private conversation. No one really knows what was said. Yeah. Oh no. But after this, Melville, and this is the first time they've met, right? Because he wrote that article about him like shooting his strong seed into his southern Uh, garden or whatever it was he said soil and (laughs) so they meet they have this like deep conversation i imagine it's like in a gazebo in the rain somewhere and he becomes a huge hawthorne fanboy starts comparing it with shakespeare hawthorne was 15 years older than melville and i kind of thought of them as like he was like an older dog and then melville was like this golden retriever puppy that was like kind of exhausting sometimes yeah i think i think if we're going to carry on the the wee kind of comparison here (laughs) melville's a little bit like notice me senpai and I get the vibe that Nathaniel (laughs) wasn't always fully on board. (laughs) Yeah, so Hawthorne liked Melville's books, um, but he said of one of them, it is so good that one scarcely pardons the writer for not having brooded long over it so as to make it a great deal better. Like, it could have been really good, but... He didn't spend that much time on it. Which one did he say that about? Uh, he said that about Pierre, which we're going to talk more about. Have you read that? Uh, no, I have not. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't broadly thought of as very good at all, was it? So no. at least at least Nathaniel <laughs> liked it a bit. He liked it, but I guess he thought it could have been way better. Melville and his wife bought an estate in that same town, Pittsfield, which he called Arrowhead. And so in the winter of 1850, Melville shows up on one of the first times, not the only time, he shows up at Hawthorne's house unexpectedly. And his wife, Sophia, was like, he's not in the mood for guests, he's working. And he was like, okay. So he came, or he like wrote to them and he said, hey, come visit Arrowhead. Like, I want to discuss the universe over brandy and cigars with you. But 
Nathaniel Hawthorne wouldn't stop working on his book for even one day and he didn't come. Melville then goes again unsolicited to Hawthorne's house and tries to hang out with them. And again, it's like, he's working, please leave him alone. Finally, Hawthorne came to Arrowhead and surprised him. And all the women of the house, like I guess the servants and the wife and whatever, were like, ooh, here comes hot Nathaniel Hawthorne. They were into it. One of Melville's biographers, name is Laurie Robertson Laurent, wrote that um, he was infatuated with Hawthorne's intellect and charmed by his elusive personality, but their friendship meant something different to each of them. (laughs) He found Melville exhausting at times. Melville wrote, I believe, yeah, 10 letters to Hawthorne that we found, all of which contain elements of, quote, sexual excitement. So I can, I'm not going to read the whole letters, but I'll just say there's 10 of these, and then there's only one that we ever found that was written back to Melville from Hawthorne. I'm sure he probably wrote, I'm sure he wrote more back, but none of them have ever been found. And that one we did find contains basically no emotion, and it was half written by his wife. So it's like Sophia and Nathan together. Yeah. One of the things that Melville wrote to him was in 1851. He says, If ever, my dear Hawthorne, in the eternal time, times that are to come, you and I shall sit down in paradise in some little shady corner by ourselves. And if we shall by any means be able to smuggle in a basket of champagne there, and if we shall then cross our celestial legs and the celestial grass that is forever tropical, and strike our glasses and our heads together till both musically ring in concert, then, oh, my dear fellow mortal, how shall we pleasantly discourse of all the things which now so distress us? Um... Yeah. And then the other letter that I have is basically him saying, oh, your letter about Moby Dick was given to me last night and I wanted to answer it right away, but I wasn't at home. So now I can't tell you exactly how I felt at the time, but I was pantheistic. Your heart beat in my ribs and mine in yours and both in God's. Whoa. Whence come you, Hawthorne? By what right do you drink from my flagon of life? And when I put it to my lips, lo, they are yours and not mine. I feel that the Godhead is broken up like the bread at the supper, and we are the pieces, hence this infinite fraternity of feeling. If this world was entirely made up of... Magians? I don't know what that is. I think what he's saying is, if I had a endless money, here's what I would do. I would have a paper mill established at one end of my house and so have an endless ribbon of fool's cap rolling in under my desk. And upon that endless ribbon, I should write a thousand, a million, billion thoughts, all under the form of a letter to you. Whoa. The divine magnet is on you and my magnet responds. Whoa. Which is the bigger? A foolish question. They are one. By the way, my wife says hi. Hello from <laughs> me and Sophia. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> My wife, who I'm straight with. Oh, no. She was asking me, have you ever had any feelings for another man? And I said, no, and never. (laughs) And I never will. I'm all about vagina. (laughs) Don't care about anyone else's divine magnet. Here's a diagram of my wife's vagina, in case you were curious. Um, No, that's getting gross. That's really gross. But so his infatuation with him, though, and like the intellectual stimulation, his friendship and real or imagined relationship with him provided him is basically what like inspired him and spurred him on to write Moby Dick, which is his great masterpiece. He um, dedicated it to Nathaniel Hawthorne. It was published in 1851 in Britain in three volumes. And then the following month in the US, it was uh, a single volume. In Britain, it was known as The Whale. Here it's known as Moby Dick. 
just we're gonna kind of go through i'm not gonna go too 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 much more in detail but there are some more interesting things 1851 his son stan wicks is born at the time he was writing pierre which as jacob said is not super popular it deals explicitly with themes of incest Ooh. on stan wicks birth certificate where it asked for the mother's name he accidentally wrote the name of his own mother no! <gasps> Edible. <laughs> now we come to the period which Wikipedia, it's not the only source I used, I just think this is funny. Wikipedia titled 1850. 1850- I was going to say, sorry, I think that, well, I don't know how they would have pronounced it, but Stanix, for example, spelled the exact same way, but pronounced just Stanix is, is an area. Oh. Exactly, it's like a part of the, the city I was born in, actually. It's exactly the same, I, I presume, really? it has a similar etymology. So I assume it's pronounced Stanix rather than Stanwix. You never know with Americans, Jacob. Yeah. We love know. pronouncing more letters than you guys. Like Birmingham. How do you say it? Birmingham? Oh my god, wait, who was Steven here? How do you say Birmingham? Who just said that? I said that. Birmingham? Birmingham. How do you say it? That sounded extremely American. Birmingham. But what did you can you do that again? That was freaky. <laughs> Birmingham. <laughs> sound like steven jackie <laughs> that was freaky i feel like a an american just came out of out of uh, jacob's mouth chumley you're the country that pronounces <laughs> a word with like 20 letters as chumley so that's like, true that's true back off i do fair, if, if you're from birmingham it's pronounced like birmingham <laughs> got, they've got a weird accent birmingham <laughs> there is a birmingham alabama that's how they say it so anyways and from 1852 to 1857 this period was titled unsuccessful writer so he had high hopes after Moby Dick, and he's like, yeah, I'm a genius, everyone loves me. And then he publishes Pierre. Even M- Moby Dick wasn't exactly like a huge success either, really. As, as far as I remember, it was mainly his two two original novels that were like, hit, kind of made his money. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have a ton of commercial success as a writer, mm-hmm. but he was like really ecstatic over, I guess, the critical reception that Moby Dick had, and especially from Hawthorne. That's what he cared about. All I cared about was how Nathaniel yeah. felt. That's probably all that mattered, yeah. It honestly feels a little like Fitzgerald and um, Hemingway, except I'm not going to argue that it's anywhere near as gay. So he told his publisher that Pierre would have great appeal, wide appeal to a large variety of people. He said it had, quote, unquestionable novelty. One of those was true. The other, I think, was not so true. <laughs> it did not, in fact, appeal to a wide variety or almost to anyone. A publication called the New York Weekly Daybook published a review of the book. The title of the review was simply, all caps, Herman Melville crazy. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I, I feel like they probably weren't too far off. <laughs> I yeah. There were there were going to be some rumblings of him being insane quite soon. Mm-hmm. Um, quote unquote insane. Although I looked up the day book, and I have to say we might want to take it with a grain of salt because it was edited by this physician author guy who was a defender of slavery and. Okay did a lot of work to promote scientific racism. So fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck him. In 1853, his daughter Bessie was born. I, I'm guessing he, by that point, had learned his wife's name and didn't fuck up and put his own mom's name <laughs> on the birth certificate again, which that's just so weird to me. After Pierre failed, he wrote Israel Potter, but he had trouble finding a publisher for it. If he had just named it Harry Potter, oh my God, yeah. things could have been so different for him. 
right? I mean, the trajectory of the world would have been radically different. Incredibly different. Yeah. And it probably wouldn't have been as transphobic. I, I never liked Harry Potter. I think I maybe as a kid read the first book and I was just like, I hate this. So are the books transphobic or is it just her that is transphobic? The books have some weird stuff. Yeah. Like a lot of characters, female characters who are like bad are kind of they discuss like oh she she had really big hands and like some weird like mannish jaw blah 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 right 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 yep yeah. yep okay so like if yeah. you're looking you can find it yep and uh, scary thing am I right in saying there's like a, a young Asian character who has basically just a really racist name or something Cho Chang right 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 okay yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like two, a Korean last name and a Chinese last name <laughs> and it's her whole name <laughs> oh god so anyway this is also when he wrote Bartleby the Scrivener because he just supported himself by writing short stories for a while again kind of like uh, Fitzgerald did 1855 his fourth daughter Fanny was born but he was having a hard time physically and mentally he was writing 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 all the time like basically never got up he had sciatica he was super frustrated all the time he had like rheumatoid attacks so his father-in-law gives him some money and he's like you guys just go take a break like go to Europe go travel around so he goes to see Hawthorne (laughs) who had now moved to England he went other places too but he stayed there and Hawthorne wrote in his diary that on one of their walks Melville had said that he quote pretty much made up his mind to be annihilated there's no context for I really don't know what that means but he was just pretty much over life at that point I guess unfortunately he had many more years left to live I was gonna say this is in the 1850s has like another 20 odd years or something yeah So um, he basically changes careers. He publishes his last novel in 1857. It was called The Confidence Man, which apparently is good. But again, not much commercial success. Yeah, that that is a good Um, one. That is a good one. I can vouch for that one. Really? Again, it's what? Heavy handed and hot under the covers or whatever that earlier quote was. Hot under the covers. (laughs) I don't think it was that. What was it that was said earlier? It was overheated. Overheated. I mean, that's his vibe, right? But yeah, Yeah. it's a good one. It's like the name of your podcast, Overheated Under... Undercooked. (laughs) Let's let's plug that... uh, uh, show a little bit Jacob you want to your YouTube channel well, that, well I don't really that was the name of the podcast well that wasn't actually the name of the podcast the name of the podcast was underrated overheated which <laughs> yeah. which I just I don't really do anymore it's just the YouTube channel and that's called Big Yellow Praxis and I'm now officially monetized yeah the name doesn't really make any sense but it's it's just about music it's just me talking irreverently about random things really but <laughs> it's quite good it's quite good both Theo and I have been guests on it it was good before that and after that too though <laughs> but anyway so he became the next 20 years basically he tried to be a poet he didn't have a ton of success with that in 1866 he just switched careers he became a customs inspector for New York City and he was that for the next 19 years that wasn't great for him he began drinking a lot he was in pain no. he was frustrated and he even started They said he started drinking a lot and he maybe even beat Lizzie. So we're not sure if he did or not, but I'm sure it wasn't great. Unfortunately, sadly, his eldest son died in 1867 from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. No! Unknown if that was intentional or accidental. That was at his house. So they start to be concerned that Melville's insane and... Lizzie's brother tries to get her to leave him, but she doesn't end up going through with it. Finally, we're in 1885. This is just, we've gone through like almost 30 years with all it was, was just like customs inspecting and being sad. His other son died from tuberculosis at 36. But towards the end of his life, there started to be a very modest revival of interest in him. And so he actually did get to publish two collections of poems. He got to publish some other stuff. He got to do some lectures. So he, he ended on a higher note than he had been before. Um, He died in 1891 from heart failure, and his 
obituary in the New York Times misspells the name of Moby Dick, which some take as a sign that he wasn't quite appreciated as much as Mm -hmm. he should have been. Finally, Billy Budd was published posthumously. So in his entire lifetime, his writing had only earned him about $10,000, which today would be the equivalent of about $275,000. Great for one year, not great for like 50 years. Mm -hmm. Melville has been important to and has been the subject of lots of queer history, literary history, to have a more nuanced view of it other than just the dick jokes, which is kind of, I'm going to post the link to the history's dick jokes article that I read (laughs) because I think it's actually pretty cool and interesting. There there needs to be more nuance to it. They mentioned that there are only 313 known Melville letters total in general that he wrote, which if they broke that down, that would mean fewer than six a year for his whole adult life. For a man of the literary scene, an adult literary man like him, that's an insanely low number. Mm -hmm. That would be like saying someone wrote less than like six emails a year, I guess. I don't know. I was trying to think of some modern corollary to it. Said six (laughs) texts. I don't know. It was insanely low. So you could double it even and it would still be low. So the thought, and it's just a theory, is that there's probably a ton of his letters that are missing. And so it's anyone's guess if the ones that do exist just exist because those were like the most flagrant ones. Maybe they're representative of his larger body of letters. Maybe they're not. It could be that, you know, maybe there were other letters he wrote to Hawthorne where he wasn't very exuberant over him. Mm -hmm. Maybe there were letters he wrote to other people who were exuberant. There's one that he wrote to his friend that was also pretty excited. (laughs) Not not nearly as uh, innuendo-filled as the ones to Hawthorne, though. He's got some pretty... Uh, characteristic literary things, uh, strategies, techniques that were unique about him. Jacob already mentioned one very, very, very heavy use of illusions. He also has, like in in Moby Dick, for example, there are some really super short chapters. Chapter 122 is 36 words long. And these apparently, and obviously we'll talk more about this when we get into the actual book, but having really short chapters like that kind of helped to set aside that prose as like something to look at and pay more attention to and maybe like provide context for other stuff. He uses lots and lots and lots of words, very verbose. Um, he's like Jacob the Ingve Malmstein of literature, one could say. No, remember, less is more. And I always said, how can that be? How can less be more? It's impossible. More is more. I was gonna. I was gonna say he's kind of. I, I think he's he's somewhat meatlovian. <laughs> kind of like the music of meatloaf. He's got that kind of. Um, it's extra. I'd call it extra. It is extra. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, as I said before, yeah, I really like Herman Melville, one of my favorite authors. And I think because he's like classic, you know, he's classic literature, you know, he's like one of the classics, mm-hmm. especially Moby Dick, you know, that doesn't kind of do it justice in the way of like, I think people should talk about more, it should be more in the common, uh, I guess, discussion about it, uh, that it's just weird. That it's just, it's just really weird, <laughs> particularly all of his writings, but particularly Moby Dick, because it's kind of an archetypally classic story, right? You know, man versus whale. Exactly, exactly. Really, it's just, re- it's just really strange. It's just this kind of huge novel with these weird pastiche chapters where he, it kind of gets uh, theatrical. It's written like a play, and then other bits where it's like a really short chapter, and then there's a few footnotes, for example, that are really long. I'm sure there's a footnote in one of the early chapters which is many times longer than the shortest chapter, and you're just like, well, <laughs> this guy is strange. This is a strange author, but I. I I mean, I like it. I like it. <laughs> it reminds me of, I think I've mentioned this before, which Rachel, I don't think you've read this yet, but House of Leaves. Oh, yeah. House of Leaves is footnotes within footnotes within footnotes within footnotes and it's like incredibly complicated like you have to keep track almost like with a pen and paper to just figure out like what it's saying. So um, I wonder if that took inspiration from this. Pot- potentially, yeah. 
I would imagine, I would imagine so to some degree. But I was going to say, I, I think I just took the opposite approach with a House of Leaves, where I was just like, well, I'm not going to take, like, keep track of all this very well. So I'm just going to read it and just kind of just hope it sinks into my brain. Uh, I'm not sure if all of it did. I, it's, it's a weird book, that one. I, I did enjoy it. But at the same time, I was like, it's, I think it was probably a bit too much. That kind of like meta literary yeah. kind of too many footnotes and yeah. really having to keep track of these like yeah. really disparate parts. No, I definitely didn't actually keep track of them. But I, I think I had asked Joshua, like, am I supposed to read all of these footnotes? And he said, yeah. And I was like, so I did what you did. I was like, I'm just going to read them. Mm-hmm. But I did want to at least try and like match up where they were. It was really hard and sometimes I'm convinced that there were footnotes that referred to nothing yeah. and I think that was on purpose. I think so. I yeah. think so. That's the impression I got. Like the end of like Ulysses tons of people, like you can spend ages trying to read that stream of consciousness bit which just goes on forever or you can just read it and just be like, well I'm not going <laughs> to really take it in. Just experience it as a stream of consciousness. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Whether that's enjoyable still is, I don't know, up for debate. I, I kind of <laughs> I have a, I think I have a limit for that kind of thing. I mean, that, <laughs> I've not read Ulysses but it sounds more enjoyable to do it the second way than the first way. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jacob, for coming on and talking to us about this guy that you like. And for everyone else, we will be reading Moby Dick in the coming couple of months. So please stick around, come back, see if it's as homoerotic as his life would lead you to think it is. I'm excited because I haven't read any of it yet, except for the first sentence, which I think we've all read. Spoiler alert. Call me Ishmael. (laughs) Yeah. If I were you guys, I would just listen to our episodes instead of reading it and then read it just yeah well get a nice intro to it first listen if you guys want to follow jacob on anything he's usually at big yellow praxis or big yellow praxis so you'll find him check out his youtube channel he has some surprisingly viral videos about music so you know surprisingly i would say he has surprisingly few viral videos because they should all be viral that's that's also rude (laughs) no it's not he liked it yeah i'm I'm happy with that yeah but you know jackie was always my favorite (gasps) Jacob! What the hell? <laughs> because I've been complaining and complaining and complaining. It's just a bit, guys. It's I, it's a bit, I promise. Listen, I Jacob, know I'm your favorite. <laughs> we we have our special bond about RM Brown. I can't That's believe that true. means nothing to you. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I know that is important. Alrighty, guys. Call, call me Ishrichal. Call, call us all Ishmael. Call us all Ishmael. Okay, bye. Bye, Jacob. Thanks. Bye-bye.